Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Worship and praise as uh, we had the opportunity to sing this morning. Man, I'll tell you, it's just good to be without a boot on. Is that all y'all got? I mean... After about eight weeks, I'm, I'm glad to get rid of this, but some of you are saying, what's going on, Pastor? Because I see a shoe on the other foot. Oh, that dirty devil, I'll tell you. Oh, pray, pray for me. I, I, I got the boot off on Tuesday and went to the podiatrist for a longer uh, issue, an issue that I've been dealing with for about a year or so. And... Uh, as I'm sitting there, he gives me the bad news, and then he reaches up in his supply closet, and he pulls out this hard shoe, and I'm like, no, and he says, yes, and so uh, we'll see what's going to take place. Pray that my foot heals. Uh, I think the only other option he told me was surgery, and I don't want surgery, so uh, pray that uh, my foot behaves and starts uh, doing what it's supposed to do. Man, listen. It's good to be in God's house. If you have your Bible, turn, take it and turn with me to Psalm 85. And uh, as you're turning, I want to remind you of our working definition that uh, I gave you last week and, and really alluded to it the week before. Our working definition surrounding this topic of a revival, it speaks of this re being resuscitated, reawakened, renewed, and rejuvenated in a spiritual sense towards God or actually the things of God. In fact, I said last week that in a sense it's the reviving of our spiritual breath. Watch this, our spiritual breath that has either been diminished or in some cases almost disappeared. And so we're talking about revival. We talked a couple of weeks ago, we began our series uh, by asking the question, you know, a lot of times we hear revival, we say, what's it all about? What are we talking about? And, and so we looked at uh, Isaiah chapter 57, and what we learned is that revival takes place when we actually get honest with God, when we become so, dis so dissatisfied with the way things are spiritually that we actually get to the point where not only do we know, but we want more of God. Amen? And so in that message, remember we talked about the idea of getting low in, in humility, but also as we're getting low, reaching high for the things of God. And then last week we asked the question, when do we need it? And I think we answered the question by the time we got to the end of the message. I think we need it now, amen? Uh, whether you say, man, personally I'm doing great or not, as we look around, I think we could say we need revival now. And so this morning I want to ask the simple question, why don't we experience it? If we know what it's about and we know when we need it, why is it, why is it that... Man, we might say a prayer or something like that, and we just really don't ever experience this idea of revival. So with that being said, I want us to turn to the passage that we were in last week as we get started this morning. Look with me in Psalm 85, and I want to, want to draw your attention to verse number 4 and following. 
Listen to what the psalmist says here. Uh, a psalm for the sons of Korah. Wow. Uh, listen to what the, the Bible says here in verse number four. It says, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Look at verse six. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Verse 8, the psalmist says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Verse number 9, surely his salvation, watch this, surely his salvation is nigh or near to them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Man, don't we need revival? I think we need it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the fact that down through the years you have been good to us. Even when we didn't deserve it, you have been good to us. And Lord, as we sing about your goodness, God, we think of your mercy and your grace and we sang about that. Lord, what a day that will be when we shall see you face to face and we sing about your greatness today because you are great. Lord, I pray that you have heard our songs of praise, not only from our lips, but from our hearts. Lord, we pray for those who are unable to be with us this morning here in person, those who may be watching online, those who are recuperating. Certainly we think of Kathy and Ernie and their recuperation and certainly others who are facing surgeries and, and illnesses and and certainly I think of Kim Davis. I pray that you would encourage her and that she would feel better today. And Lord, just on and on the list seems to go. We're excited to see those who have come back. Lord, as we've entered into a new season, a new school year. And Lord, I pray as we have been praying for our young people, our, our children, our middle schoolers, our teenagers, and our college students. God, as they are in the fight, so to speak, out on the front lines. Lord, I pray that you would protect them. God, in, in the very opportunities that you give them in schools. Lord, I pray that you be with our teachers, our administrators, our first responders. Lord, I pray that today on this special day that you would be with the families of those who lost dear loved ones 21 years ago today. Lord, help us never to forget what you did during that time as you kind of reawakened our country. But Lord, we saw how quickly that that reawakening, that renewal of, of a sort, how quickly that faded from view. But today as we think of those times, Lord, I'm asking you and praying that you will bring revival again. God, that you will stir our hearts for the things that stir your heart. Lord, that you would help us to live in a way that brings you honor and glory. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching today or in the days ahead through a recording, Lord, that if there's somebody that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day that you would open up the eyes of their understanding, that they might see and understand their need. Lord, that you would save their souls. Lord, I pray that for the one who needs revival today, that they'll get real honest with you today. Lord, that you'll do business with us as we do business with you, Lord. I pray that you'll have your will in your way, and God will be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you'll do. For it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray and for his sake. 
Amen and amen. What an incredible passage of Scripture. Again, it is so good to see you in the Lord's house. It's, as I've been saying, though, all along through this, this kind of mini-series, if you please, on revival, it's, uh, it, it doesn't take much. I don't think it takes much for us to look around and see the disastrous state of affairs that we find taking place, not only in many of our communities, but all across this country. Would you agree? Do, do we agree that something is wrong? You know, there was a song years ago, in fact, I was getting ready to coin the first lyrics years ago. Some of you Southern Gospel fans will remember this years ago. Uh, there was a song that started out, There's Something Wrong in America. That was years ago. Today, as I look around, it seems as if there are many things wrong in America. But the reality is, spiritually speaking, this country has gone off the rails. We've gone off the deep end, right? And the reality is I look in Scripture and I'm reminded of a warning that was given to God's people back in Isaiah chapter 5. It was given to God's people uh, then, but I think it really speaks today. It gives us a snapshot of where we are today. Listen to what uh, Isaiah 5 and verse 20 says. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good. Isn't that where we're living? We're living in a time where, listen, uh, what we're doing today is not celebrated, it's not championed, it's not going to be applauded by the masses as we get together to worship Jesus. Listen, a lot of people will talk a lot about God, but when you mention the name of Jesus, oh, that's the name above every name, every man. That's the name that every tongue one day will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But look what Isaiah says. He says, woe unto them they call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them, he goes on, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 21. It's, it's, it's bad enough that there are people running around today that call good evil and evil good. But in verse 21, watch what it says. It says, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. But watch the last part because we get off, we forget the last part. It says, and prudent in their own sight. That word prudent means that there's a whole generation of people, just like there were then, that have decided that their smarts are better than God's smarts. They become prudent in their own sight. And so guess what? The truth according to, watch this, me is what is king. I got news for you, and I want to say it lovingly. My truth doesn't matter. The only truth that matters is the truth of God's word. The Bible says it will endure forever and ever and ever. Right? But yet we're living in a time where it's like, oh, listen, this is my truth, brother. This is my truth, sister. No, listen, your truth, although you, you may feel really good about your truth, if it doesn't match up with the word of God, it's not truth. Hello? Proverbs 14, 12 reminds us there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Listen, we have to be careful of sliding down a slippery slope. Amen? We, we really do. I've been saying, though, it seems like as we go on in 2022, we've been through COVID and everything, and it just goes on and on. But it seems to me that the Lord who is rich in mercy is once again trying to get our attention. He's like, listen, uh, listen, I gave them over to their reprobate mind a long time ago. He said, guess what, I'll do the same with you if you don't wake up. I mean, he's, he had a message uh, to the church of Ephesus and the church of Laodicea, and we'll look at one of those here in a second, but listen, it was time to wake up. 
it was time to turn around. And so I think we need revival. Much like the, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament that we find in the Old Testament. The reality is that you and I today face many dangers, toils, and snares. And a lot of them we have already come through. Amen? But the reality of the situation is, just like the children of Israel, I think that many of us in the church, watch this, many of us who call ourselves believers, I, I, I feel like, like today I don't have my hearing aids on. I'm just going to be real honest with you. So if you say something, you're going to have to shout it out. Amen? Okay, thank you, Herb. Right? I think like the children of Israel, we have listening and learning problems. You see, a lot of people want to, a lot of people want to live and learn. It's like, it's like a lot of people, this ain't even a message. This won't cost you anything extra, right? A lot of people want to live and learn. I got news for you, that's not a good plan. Hey, Pastor, I'm just living and learning. Wanna, no, why don't you listen and live? Instead of living and learning, oh, we got a problem, Houston. You know you're using your Bible when it's falling apart. If your Bible ain't falling apart, say, oh my. Sorry, I'm having a moment with my... What? Come on, one more message. One more message. Oh my goodness. God is good. My wife bought me, don't, don't, don't be dismayed, my wife bought me a new Bible two years ago. She saw this day coming. She was, she was leaning forward in the foxhole. And she got me this new Bible that sits right on my desk. Every once in a while I crack it open and I say, nope, not yet. Nope. Sweet. You know, we... We laugh and we talk about living and learning and listening and living. But I, let's be honest, don't we all do that a lot of times? I'm just going to make this decision today, Pastor. I'm going I'm to see how it works out. How about, how about we consult God first and then see how it works out? Instead of doing things our way, how about we go back to when we used to do things God's way? I think our country would be in better shape if we did that. And no, I'm not going to run for governor. I told my wife she needs to run for governor. I think I'd be a good first husband. <laughs> and my mother-in-law would be the first queen mother. <laughs> oh, God is good. Listen, the reality is at the end of the day, this idea of living and learning or listening and learning, the problem of listening, the problem of learning, these things collide together and they cause a problem with you and I and they prevent you and I when we don't want to listen to what God has to say, when we don't want to learn from what God's Word has to say, when we, want to, we don't want to do what He has to say, then what happens is we fail to experience heaven-sent revival. Many times, one of the greatest battles for any believer is a battle of the will. We all have a will. We all have a will. It's like 
freedom of conscience, freedom of will. Listen, ultimately the question surrounding revival is a question of, are you willing? Are you willing? I can show you, and I'll show you here in a second from Psalm 110 about being willing. So the question is, are we willing to hear God? Are we willing to allow the Lord to not only to reign, He still reigns supreme, by the way, but does He rule supreme in our lives? Are we willing to let Him rule and reign? And are we willing to focus our attention and our efforts on God's Word and not on everything else except for it? You see, if we're unwilling to do these things, if we're unwilling to get honest with God, then not only will revival not come, but we'll most likely end up falling prey to the deceptive tricks of the devil. Listen, he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. Young people, the devil is walking about seeking whom he may devour in your school, in your neighborhood. And parents, if we don't wake up, guess what? They're going to fall prey. It's time for mom and dad to get out from being asleep at the wheel. That's not even in my message notes. By the way, Lisa, it's so good to see you. Look at you, new mama. Praise the Lord. Dad at home taking care of the baby. He got baby duty. It's, okay, <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you. Look back at our text. Look at verse 4, 6, and 8. It's pretty important. Look at verse number 4. You see... If, we don't, if, if we're not willing to do certain things, then we're going to fall prey to the deceptive tricks of the devil. But look at verse number 4, because in verse number 4, I find that there was a willingness to be turned by God. It says, turn us, O God. And so the psalmist says, listen, obviously we need to be turned. We're headed in the wrong direction. And so God, you need to do the turning and we'll do the living. By the way, you don't turn yourself and I don't turn myself. God turns us. If you come to Christ, it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that does it, not you. A lot of people think, well, I'm going to serve my way to Jesus. No, you're not. You're going to serve your way to a devil's hell. Man, we don't like that, but that's the truth. It's God who turns us. Look at verse number 6. Verse number 6, not only was there a willingness to be turned, but there's a readiness to be revived. Are you ready to be revived? Because if you're not ready, then it's not going to happen. The psalmist says, wilt thou not revive us again in verse number 6? And then look at verse number 8. There was a desire to hear what God had to say. In verse number 8 he says, I'm going to hear what God the Lord will speak. How many times do we need to be reminded of just that phrase? Like, I'm going to hear what God has to say on the matter. I think we would do ourselves a favor if we would listen to what God has to say. Last week I shared with you what Asaph said in Psalm 80 and verse number 3. Listen, he said, turn us. Now, we're, yeah, we can go in contextually and talk about coming out of the captivity. But here's what he says. He said, turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. So from Asaph's words, I see there's a willingness, there's a readiness, there's a desire for change. And you and I must have it. By the way, it's not so much a turn of circumstance, but a turn, a turn of condition, a turn of character. As believers, if we're straying from the Word of God, if we're straying in our walk with the Lord if we become lifeless, if we become nonchalant about the things of God, then the phrasing of turn us, even in, even in Psalm 80, verse number 3, that phrase is the idea of restore, the idea of bring back to life something that needs to be revived. I think about David. David, 
Yes, he was a man after God's own heart. But David was somebody who needed to be revived on occasion. If you're, if you're not familiar with a lot of David's stories, in fact, if you look at Psalm 23 and verse number 3, if we have that, throw it up. It, David, see, he knew that it was the Lord who had restored his soul. He knew that it was the Lord who lead him, lead, led him in the paths of righteousness. And so David understood that revival truly was all about the Lord's power. And so if that's the case, then why don't, we, why don't we experience revival? The quick answer, as my mother-in-law would say, is sin. She many times asks me what I'm going to preach on. She says, are you preaching on sin? <laughs> uh, her quick answer would be sin. But I think the reason we don't experience revival is kind of a twofold thought. And let me give it to you. Number one, a lack of willingness. And number two, a lack of holiness. We're not willing... And we're not living holy lives. And then we wonder why revival doesn't come. In fact, Psalm 110 verse number 3 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles, a very familiar verse of Scripture. And I'm not going to do it in injustice and take it out of context. Don't worry about that. But I want us to see a greater principle. By the way, you can see some great principles from the Old Testament. So don't discount the Old Testament. A lot of people say, brother, that's Old, Old Testament. We're not listening. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And in my Bible, it's page 316. Turn with me there. Solomon is prayed at this point and... The Lord appears to Solomon and basically tells Solomon, Hey, listen, I heard your prayer. That's good news, by the way, that the Lord heard his prayers. He hears our prayers. He says, Hey, I heard your prayer. And uh, he, he goes on and he talks to Solomon. But look down at verse number 14. Very familiar verse of Scripture. I believe this principle still rings true today. And God says to Solomon, He says, Listen, if my people... Yes, let's not get off track. We're not trying to replace them there. We're talking about us now. I believe it still applies. God says, if my people, if those who call themselves followers of me, watch, he says, if, they, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then notice what he says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Listen, most of the time we don't experience revival because it's right here in this verse. We're not prepared and we're not willing to do what thus saith the Lord. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, hey, little Christ. That's what Christian means, you're little Christ. Don't, don't get your head halo on too tight. Little Christ, little C, not capital C. But you are a little Christ. We are to go into the world as representatives of the Christ and let them see Christ living in and through us. So that means that our thoughts, our words, and our actions ought to be glorifying the big Christ as little Christians. He says, if my people, that's us, which are called by his name, little Christ, shall humble ourselves. Uh-oh, there's the problem. There's the problem. You see, we got to be willing. we got to be willing in the day of power. And so this is where willingness and, and holiness collide. And so if you're a note taker, I'm going to use this verse just to point out some simple facts and we're going to go home, amen? 
As you can see, I'm dressed for the occasion today. Y'all aren't getting it. Listen, you're either a fan or you're not a fan. I don't care how many times they change the name of this team. Y'all, y'all, y'all need to wake up. Here it is. Look at this, look at this one verse. We don't experience revival. Here it is. A few thoughts and we're going to get out of here. We don't experience revival because we're not willing to humble ourselves. Let it just sit for a second. By the way, the moment you think you're humble, you're not. Andrew Murray said that in his book. I love that. He said, he said the moment you think you're humble, you're not. I remember years ago, there was a basketball coach. I won't tell you where. It was a basketball coach. He was coaching my youngest son. Many of you know Casey loves basketball. He was coaching my youngest son, and he got up in front of the teams, and he said, listen, guys, I'm the most humble guy you'll ever meet. And in that moment, Casey remembered what I always told him. The moment you think you're humble, you're not. And he came home, and he told me the story. I said, so what sayest thou? And he said, he's got a problem with pride. <laughs> See, we're not willing to humble ourselves, but here, let's be gentle about it because sometimes I think we get puffed up with pride before we even know what's going on. Sometimes it sneaks up on us. So you may think, you, you may be saying, well, how does it sneak up on me? Well, here it is. Pride keeps us from finding out what God has to say about anything and everything. You're, you know you got a pride issue when you stop searching the scriptures. When you say, listen, I hear what the pastor says, but I am not going to waste my time trying to find, what, find out what God says on this topic. you got a pride issue. Pride keeps us from finding out what God has to say. Pride keeps us from praying. A little bit more on that in a second. Pride causes us to care less and less about right and wrong. Let me sit down for a second. No, I'm serious. My feet are hurting. My legs are hurting. Pride causes us to care less and less about right and wrong. Dad, you better care about right and wrong. Because your kids are finding all about wrong. Mom, you better, you, better, you better care about right and wrong. Right? I tell young couples all the time, when they come in for counseling premarital counseling and stuff. I give the illustration. Moms and dads, pick up what I'm saying. That these couples, they come and they pick up a bag and they're coming into marriage. And in that bag, they've got everything they've seen mom and dad do in marriage. And over on the other side, you got the young man. He's coming. He's got his sling back. He doesn't carry a bag. He's got a sling back. And in his sling back, he's got everything he's noticed about marriage. And he's bringing it into the home. It's so careful. It's so important that we teach our children. We've got to care about right and wrong. We've got to care what's being taught to our kids in the schools. We've got to care what's being taught to our kids in churches. By the way, let me encourage you. Battlefield may not be for you, but i got one thing, and I'm going to tell you this. We're always going to defer to the Word of God here in this place. 
You can go down to brand X or brand Y or brand Z and you might find all kind of feel good, hope good, maybe so, hope so, uh, fancy free, uh, whatever else you want to call it. But if it ain't God's word, then it's nothing but a bunch of junk. And the sad thing is, the devil has blinded our eyes. We go in and we see the glitz and the glamour. The reality is a lot of people don't have a stomach anymore for the word of God. We have itching ears. We want to hear what we want to hear. That's what, Timothy, that's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Among other things, the Laodicean church, which I referenced a moment ago, they had an issue with pride. Listen to what Jesus says to him, and I won't read the whole passage, but in verse number 17 of Revelation chapter 3, as Jesus is communicating his, his, his letter to this church, and they were short letters to seven churches. In verse number 17, here's what he says. He says, because you say, because thou sayest, because you say that you're rich, because you say that you're increased with goods, United States of America. Because you say, USA, that you have need of nothing. Oh, they had a pride issue. So see, the people were saying, hey, Lord, we don't need anything. We're good. We got it covered. We got our houses. We got our cars. We got our jobs. We got our vacation places. We got our timeshares. We got it all figured out, Lord. So you can go help some other country over across the world. We got it all figured out. Well, that's what Laodicea was like. And you know what Jesus said to them? He says, you may say you're rich. You may say you have all of these things. But here's what it is. He says, but you don't know that you are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. And you are naked. Oh, listen, sometimes pride sneaks up. And we don't even realize that it has come and it is deceiving us from understanding what God has to say. In fact, Obadiah. Obadiah, you, you don't hear a lot of messages from Obadiah, but Obadiah 1.3, notice it reminds us of the very point. It says, the pride of thy heart has deceived thee. Pride is deceptive because it gets us to the fact where we think we're better than we really are. We're not really that good. The only thing that's good in us is Jesus. Battlefield, the only thing that is good about Battlefield is Jesus. Oh my goodness. Could go on and on. The Lord, uh, Proverbs 15, 25 says, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. Listen, revival doesn't come to the proud, it comes to the humble. That's exactly what our text said in week number one in Isaiah 57, 15. Notice what it says. It says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Notice he says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. But what does he say? He says, To, re to revive the spirit of the humble to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You find nowhere in scripture that God says, I'm going to revive the heart of the proud. Doesn't say it. In fact, James chapter 4 says the opposite. James chapter 4 and verse number 6, the Bible tells us that God actually resists the proud. But he gives more grace to the humble. And in verse number 10 of that passage, the Bible says, Humble yourselves therefore in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Oh, listen, we don't experience revival because we're not willing to humble ourselves. Number two, we don't experience revival because we're not willing to pray. I say all the time, we don't pray because we don't pray. The reality is, some reason, we're a little bit too proud to pray, but Scripture indicates that prayer should be a regular part of our spiritual diet. You say, where do you get that from? I get it from Matthew chapter 5, right? In Matthew uh, uh, chapter 6, excuse me, where Jesus says, when thou prayest, right? 
verse number 5, he begins, he says, when thou prayest, I'm going to give you an example of how you to pray, but he says, when thou prayest. He doesn't say if you pray or maybe when you pray. He says, when you pray. So it's an implication is that prayer is supposed to be a regular part of our spiritual diet. But truthfully, we'll never experience revival until we pray because prayer is an acknowledgement. See, when I pray... If I come to an old-fashioned altar, and I say old-fashioned, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Some things that are old-fashioned are okay, amen? Hello? You're like, oh, I got me a new radio. Guess what? I have the same clock radio beside my bed that I've had for like 40 years. It still works. That old-fashioned clock radio still works. I still hate the sound of the alarm on it. So I changed. I got, you know, I got... I've updated. It still sits there on my nightstand, but I got the little phone thing. And you know what what I've found? Is I keep turning the volume of that alarm down and down. Because my alarm is like, ring, 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 ring. And so I turn it down so it's just like, and I'm like, oh, no. Right? When we come to an old-fashioned altar, or when you get in your closet and pray as, Matthew chapter 6 was talking about when thou prayest. Go into your closet and pray. Pray in secret and the Lord will reward you openly. Do you know what prayer is? Prayer is an acknowledgement that without God I can do nothing. I can do nothing. And yet we don't pray. We're unwilling to pray. In fact, we have invitations And people won't even respond to an invitation because we don't pray. And the reason we don't pray is because we're not willing to humble ourselves. Because, see, guess what? If I go to an old-fashioned altar, uh, then Darren might see me walk forward. Guess what? I need to quit worrying. Listen, I love Darren, but we need to quit worrying about what Darren thinks and worry about what God thinks. We've gotten, we've gotten things, we, we've, literally, we've literally listened to the world that calls evil good and good evil. And we've allowed that to pollute our minds. The, the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Oh listen, we don't have revival because we're not willing to pray. Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. As you're turning, I think of uh, that old English evangelist passed away in 1994, Leonard Ravenhill. If you never heard any of his, uh, read any of his material, Leonard Ravenhill, he said these words. He said, the church is dying on its feet because it's not on its knees. Look at James chapter 4 when you get there, way back there. All right, James chapter 4. Look down when you get there. We could start in verse 1, but let's just jump to verse number 2. Look at the verse 2 and 3. And James puts it this way, talking about this idea. He says, you lust and you have not, you kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. It's just a principle. Don't shoot the messenger, just a principle. Go on, read verse number three. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. Many times when we go to the Lord in prayer, we go with selfish desire. We're not going in humbleness of spirit. We're not going with a contrite spirit, right? We're going in asking God to do something that we desire rather than something God desires. I can tell you that God desires to bring you revival, but you must be willing. You must humble yourselves, and you must be willing to pray. 
Look over across the page. Probably don't even need to turn the page. Look at James chapter 5. Appropriately, James proclaims here, look here, in verse number 16, drop down. He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elias, he goes on in verse 17, was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, he was just like you and me. And he says, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. You can go back in the Old Testament, read the passage. But then he goes on in verse number 18, and he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. As I pointed out last week from Hosea chapter 10 and verse number 12, and we were talking about breaking up the fallow ground, right? And we talked about sowing in righteousness and reaping mercy. I just believe that it is time. Look at the last part of that verse. It says it is time. It is time to seek the Lord until, until he come and rain righteousness upon you. Hey, you know, the reality is God, the greatest moves of God always seem to follow the greatest moments of prayer. The greatest moves of God always seem to follow the greatest moments of prayer. You say, well, where do you get that illustration? You remember Jonah? You remember the story of Jonah? God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, nah, nah. That's his answer. That's, 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 uh, that's the GAC, not the KJV. He says, nah, not going to go to Nineveh. Well, okay, see how you like the belly of a great fish. So after the fish spits him up, he repents, he spits him up. God says, hey, listen, I need you to go to Nineveh. Jonah goes to Nineveh. You remember, he finally goes and he shares the message of God with the Ninevites. And the reality is, he goes there and after he shares the message, not only does the king, but all of the people humble themselves and they fast and they pray. And as a result, God moves marvelously in that place. And the rest of the story is Jonah gets mad. Jonah has an attitude problem. He's like, why did God do that for him? I thought, I, God, you made a fool out of me because I went and I told him that you were going to rain down judgment. I'm thankful for God's mercy. It was the theologian Charles Finney who once proclaimed, he says, I have prayed all night. He says, I prayed all night. He says, not because God was reluctant to hear me, but because I had to get my heart ready for what God had to say. You know, sometimes I don't think we're willing to pray because we're afraid of what God might say. Right? You know, when it gets around missions time. By the way, as we're leading up to faith, promise, and missions, the devil will be on attack. He will tell you, hey, listen, I know Pastor Greg sent out a letter outlining missions, but hey, hey, you really don't need to be a part of that. That's the devil, right? Missions is the very heart of God. It's his very heart. We need to be involved in it. But the reality is sometimes we don't humble ourselves. We don't pray. And we don't have revival and we wonder why. Next, we don't, we don't experience revival. Not only do we not humble ourselves and pray, but we're not willing to see God's face. We're not willing to, to pray and seek what God has to say. In fact, that phrasing there from that verse, the word seek essentially means to search out by any method, especially through worship and prayer. So if you want to seek God's face, then you're going to have to worship. You're going to have to pray to God to seek his face. And then the word face actually speaks of his countenance. And it carries the idea of you and I turning toward his direction. In other words, we got to quit looking for 
revival, we need to quit looking for things in all the wrong places. We need to turn our eyes back toward the Lord. Remember last week we talked about, I said, when do we need revival? When our eyes become diverted. When we get away from looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, right? When we get our eyes off of Jesus, that's when we need revival. Look back at James 4. You, you should be there already. This time in James chapter 4, listen, God, let's see what he says beyond humbling ourselves. Let's begin in verse number 6. I'm just not going to chop it up. I want us to see it in context. James says in verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Here we go, verse 7 and 8. Really pay attention, 7, 8, and 9. Submit yourselves therefore to God. You want an action plan, sir? Ma'am, you want an action plan for today? You say, man, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with bad thoughts. I'm struggling with whatever is going on in your life. I've got a bad attitude. My health is bad. My heart is bad. I'm emotionally a wreck. I'm physically a wreck. I'm spiritually a wreck. Here's a great action plan. James 4, 7. And the first part of verse 8. Verse 7. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We either believe it or we don't. If I submit myself to God, that's first and foremost. Resist the devil, because he's walking about seeking me to devour. And guess what? The Bible says he'll flee from you. But look at verse number 8. It goes on. It says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Verse number, it goes on. It says, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts. So we're to cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned unto mourning and your joy to heaviness. And then he goes on, he says in verse number 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he, he shall lift you up. It was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Listen, you want to draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. If you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Jesus gives us the promise that you will be filled. You want to have revival? Be willing to seek his face. Matthew chapter 6, I don't want to disparage it or anything and use it in a way that's not, not right, but uh, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Raiment and on and on that he talks about in the passage there before. But notice verse number 33 doesn't, Seek ye second, or seek ye third, or seek ye fourth. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, what we do many times is we say, listen, I'm going to seek Jesus on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, Jesus, I need you to take a little respite. I'm going to set you up here, and I'll be back with you on Sunday. I'm going to take care of Monday through Saturday. I want to give you a break because I know you've got to deal with Pastor Greg, and, and you've got to deal with Miss Krista, and so I'm going to give you a break, Jesus, and I'll come back and talk to you on Sunday. That's not how it works. In the words of a worldly theologian and former NASCAR driver, Ricky Bobby. If Jesus isn't first, then most likely he's last. I've never heard of anybody that has come to me and said, you know, well, Jesus is actually second on my list. Uh, pa 
Pastor, I, I got a lot of going on in my plate right now, and so I, I've kind of leveled it this way. I got, I, I got my wife. She's always nagging me. I got the kids. They're nagging me. I got my job. They're after me. And then what I do is I, I kind of make time for the Lord over here. No, I've never heard anybody tell me they put Jesus forth and live to tell about it. Oh, listen, we have to seek him first. Isaiah 55 Verse number six, what a poignant passage. It says in verse number six, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Look at verse seven, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God and for that he will abundantly pardon. Listen, who we turn to makes all the difference in the world. Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to seek his face? Because if you're not, see, they're all connected to holiness, by the way, then you're not going to experience revival, and neither will I. The last thing I see in this verse is that we don't experience revival because we're not willing. This one's going to hurt. This one's going to hurt. I'm just going to be honest. We're not willing to turn from our wicked ways. Not willing to humble ourselves, not willing to pray, not willing to seek his face, and we're not willing to turn from our wicked ways. I will not, have you ever, ever felt this? I will not be moved. Oh, you'll be moved. The Bible says if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled, we will be abased. But if we humble ourselves, we should be lifted up. That's Jesus, by the way, who said that. So you, if we want to be pride, if we want to be prideful, there's, there's a way, remember, that seems right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Jesus has a way of getting our attention. He has a way of humiliating us. We're unwilling to forsake our sin. We're unwilling to embrace holiness as a people many times because our lack of holiness, it actually keeps us from being willing. So our lack of holiness affects our willingness. I just read Isaiah 50 and verse 6 and 7. Will you put verse 7 back up again? See, I just said we're unwilling to turn away or, or to turn from our wicked ways. Verse 7 of the passage said, let the wicked forsake his way. In other words, let the wicked relinquish, relinquish his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Hebrews 12, 1. It says, let us lay aside. In other words, put it away. Lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run the race that is set before us. As strangers and pilgrims passing through, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 11. Here's what he says. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In 1 Peter 1, the Bible says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Look at verse number 14 again. It says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. In another version of Scripture, the CSB, here's how they put it. Do not conform to the desires of your former ignorance before Christ. Don't go backwards. 
Don't start conforming to who you were because if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Oh my goodness. It's very quiet when we talk about turning from our wickedness. But in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 14, we're actually told of the problem that actually creates an unwillingness for us to turn from our wickedness. It says the, black, the backslider, black, backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Now watch this. When my ways, when our ways, when we're filling our lives with our ways, so much so that God's ways no longer make sense, we have a problem. When, when what, what I think, remember I started by my truth, brother. I'm just trying to live my truth out. No, what I need to do is live God's truth out. But we live in a time where that's running rampant. And you know what we're doing most of the time? Let's just be real transparent with one another. We're unwilling to confront it. We're unwilling to confront it because we don't want anybody to think we're hate mongers or we're this phobe or this phobe or that phobe. I mean, I, I've become so many phobes, I didn't even know that I was all these phobias. I mean, it's serious. And I'm not all of those phobias. Do you see what takes place? We live in a time when people are calling evil good and good evil. Why would I, by the way, I tell people all the time, it's like, the devil made me do it. Listen, stop listening to the devil. He's a liar and a murderer. Why do you listen to it? If, if the devil truly made you do it, and by the way, I think we give the devil a bad name sometimes. No, the devil didn't make you do it. You just did it on your own. I did it on my own. We did it on our own. I walked in pride. I walked in prayerlessness. I walked in a way that wasn't seeking God's face. I didn't want to turn from my wicked ways. The devil didn't make me do that. I did that. we got to take responsibility for our actions. Listen, we don't experience revival because of a lack of willingness and a lack of holiness. 2 Chronicles 7.14, notice what it says again. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Notice he says, then, then will I hear. Then will I forgive. Then will I heal. In other words, the Lord's desire is to hear, cleanse, and to work. But you and I must be willing. And the problem is we have a willingness problem because we have a holiness problem. And so let me ask you, are you willing to pursue and live in holiness today? You have to make the choice. I'm either going to pursue and live in holiness, I'm going to make that choice, or I'm not. Are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to seek His face and turn from your wicked ways? Because I believe that if you will do that, I believe that if you will do that, God will bring a revival in your heart. And guess what? It could begin with you, or you, or you, or you. Oh man, could you imagine what would take place if, if everybody in this room, everybody watching, were to, were to be revived, to get on fire again for the things of God. Can you imagine what would take place 
here at Battlefield? Can you imagine what would take place in Northern Virginia if we really were committed to Christ? Oh, listen, the beautiful thing about 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14, watch it, is verse number 15. Because see, in verse number 15, notice what the Lord says. He says, now my ears. He says, remember, he says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I heal, then will I forgive, then will I cleanse and, and uh, forgive their sin and heal their land. He goes on and on. But the beautiful part of verse number 14 is actually verse number 15. Because remember, he's already told Solomon, I heard your prayer. And then when you get to verse number 15, here's what he says. He says, now, he says, now my ears are open. My ears are attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. So my question is, what kind of prayer do you need to offer today? What kind of prayer do we need to offer? Do we mean business with God? Because I can guarantee you he meant business with you when he died on the cross. He meant business when he placed himself on that cross for my sin, for your sin and for the sin of the world. Do you mean business for him? Are you ready to offer a prayer? Are you ready to humble yourself so that he can lift you up? Are you ready to seek his face to turn from looking in every other direction and turn back toward the Lord? Are you ready? Because he's ready to hear. His ears are open. Not only are they open, but they're intent. By the way, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There are some conditions for prayer. Oh, we have to be careful. If you need to get rid of some sin, get rid of some sin. Confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, listen, I don't know how much more you need to know other than that God loved you so much that he sent his son willingly to die in your place. To pay a debt that you or I could never pay. If you don't know Jesus, can I tell you? I hope you've heard enough from the word of God and the spirit of God has been moving in your heart. That Lord is speaking to you right now, saying, only trust, only trust, only trust, right? Only trust him now, as that old song used to say. You may be here and you may be saved. But you might be real honest with me today and say, you know what? It's been a long time. I'm going to be honest, I got a little bit of a pride issue. I didn't even know I was prideful. Pride snuck up on me. That's what the devil does. He sneaks up. He's deceptive. He, he wants to destroy. By the way, do you know the devil wants to destroy your life? Pride is sneaky. You may be honest and say, man, it snuck up on me. But I don't have a stomach for Going to God, I don't have a stomach for praying. I, I, I really have kind of lost, lost it. I, you know, things that are right and things that are wrong have become less and less important to me. I'm kind of like, let the world do what the world wants to do, and I've given up, and, and I really didn't understand. You know, I, by the way, another thing is uh, a deal with pride is pride is unteachable. I really don't want to hear, but, but today I'm, I recognize I have a pride issue. Maybe you're a believer, and, and you say, Pastor... I just want to be real honest with you. I struggle with prayer. Can I tell you, you're not alone. I bet you if I asked that, and if this room were honest, if this room were willing to be honest, 
there would be hands go up all over the room that say they struggle with prayer. You're not alone. You say, I struggle with prayer. Can I tell you, today's a great place to start to recommit yourself to humbling yourself, to praying. It's a great place to start today that says, listen, I'm going to turn, I'm going to seek God's face. I'm going to really make an effort today and tomorrow. Pastor, would you pray for me this week that I would seek God's face more and more? And maybe, Pastor, would you just pray for me because I got some things, I got some secrets in my life that I need to give back and get rid of. And I need to forsake them. I need to abstain from them. I need to, I need to lay aside those weights that so easily beset me. Can I tell you, if that's your prayer, God will hear that prayer. And he will answer you today. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for the message today. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we had to sing about your greatness and your mercy and, and your goodness to us. God, I'm reminded from your word that you want us to humble ourselves, that you want us to pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. And Lord, that that, 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 that principle is still applicable to our lives today. And the reminder that if we'll do what you have said, God, that we can have confidence knowing that not only will you hear, but you will forgive and that you will heal and that you will do what only you can do. God, I pray the people would get serious with you today as we open up in this time of invitation, as we have a time to focus on what you are doing in our lives. God, I pray that if there's somebody here that needs to be saved, they would simply call out upon the name of the Lord and ask, ask, recognizing what Jesus has done, just call upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. It's not about some mumbo-jumbo exact uh, uh, prayer. It's about the desire of the heart that seeks and has been driven by the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God to seek that change. God, I pray that you would move in a marvelous way. God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you because you are holy, you are good, and you are loving. God, I pray that you will do now as you have told us you'll do, that you will hear, that your ears are open, and that your ears are attent unto the prayer made in this place today. Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you. In the precious and powerful name of your son Jesus, we pray this, and for his sake, amen.